I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? And welcome to the broadcast, folks. It is great to have you. It is great to uh, have you guys who continually support this ministry and the Theology Unplugged broadcast. So we appreciate you guys joining us each week. And uh, we have been promising something for a while, Tim, right? That's right. And we keep our promises and we love to deliver. So yeah. here we are. It's taken a little while, but yeah. uh, we get through. We got through our women in ministry. That's right. Although uh, our special guest might have liked to join us for that one, but yeah. <laughs> we talked for a few weeks on women in ministry. Uh, folks, uh, let, me, let me briefly get some early things out of the way once again. This is Theology Unplugged Broadcast. I'm Michael Patton. Tim is with us again, and we are part of Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. You may have found us here on um, the blog, if you're on the blog, or you may have found us on iTunes. iTunes, I think, is the best way to be able to get us Mm-hmm. And continue to subscribe to us. But up on the blog, we're going to put this one back on the blog. We haven't put anything on the blog for a while, but I think we'll start progressively putting them on the blog again. Mm-hmm. But subscri- subscribing through iTunes is definitely every week you'll get a ping and uh, be able to be a part of the broadcast. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it. We're um, uh, a weekly broadcast, so uh, keep up on uh, the the uh, feed somehow. And the studio is hooked up for a call-in show, and so look out for Facebook and Twitter, and we'll be letting you know when we're going in and what we're talking about. And then you can call in and ask any of us a question or just be part of the dialogue. Okay, real quick, Tim, just tell us about the uh, thing that's happened in the summer. Yep, so July 31st from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., we're having a theological boot camp. And what that is really is we're giving you foundations of the faith. The theology program is 60 weeks, and what we're basically saying is, hey, if someone could only have four hours instead of 60 weeks, what would we tell them to give them a foundation as fall ministries are kicking off and things like that, just to give a good foundation. So for only $25, you'll hear from Michael and myself, and we'll take you through what we believe are the historical main things that people need to be rooted in and have a good foundation in in Christian belief. And so that's Theological Boot Camp. It's Saturday, July 31st. We're going to have 50 people here at the Credo House in Edmond, Oklahoma. So if you're anywhere in the area, we know some a guy from Houston who's actually driving up for that. Uh, we would love to have you here. Some people from Frisco as well. Yeah. We got, yeah. A, we got a big audience in Frisco. Yeah, so come on up, you Dallas people. That's a good uh, time, Frisco people. You know, you've been talking about coming up here to the Credo House. Let's do it this time for the boot camp. For boot camp. And then we're also streaming it live in our live classroom environment through Adobe Connect, and that'll hold 50 people as well. Okay, so, so for sure it's going to be Adobe Connect, not live stream. Or, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. So wherever you are around the world, if you want to participate live, where when Michael says, are there any questions, you click a button. It makes your webcam live, and you can just say, hey, Michael, could you flesh out that one point that you just mentioned? And you'll be able to do that, interact live with us. So if you can't get here, we'd love to connect with you through Adobe Connect on July 31st as well. All right, very good. Um, we have uh, – I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, about our topic today and our special guest that is joining us, and I'm thinking this is kind of ironic because – I 
graduated from Dallas Seminary. You graduated from Dallas Seminary. That's great. And our special guest here, Sam Storms, graduated from Dallas Seminary. Sam, you are a pastor at Bridgeway, and you've been there since last September, right, in Oklahoma City. Actually, been there since September of 08. So I'm coming up on Has it been that long? It's been that long. <laughs> about 21 months now, almost two years. Wow. Michael slipped into a time warp there. Yeah, I did. I was thinking it was just last September. Wow. So, um, and you're a graduate of Dallas Seminary. Yes. And you, uh, have, uh, taught on, you, you've taught at, uh, at, um, you've taught church history before, right? Yeah, I taught historical theology at Wheaton College. Yeah, that's right. And that is, from there you went to, Kansas. Yeah, I went back to Kansas City and started enjoying God Ministries. Okay. Traveled extensively and rode extensively until uh, the Lord called us here. Well, what was good. the purpose of the enjoying God Ministries? Well, it was really to uh, make available to the body of Christ anywhere and everywhere um, uh, just the resources that I had developed uh, over the course of, at that time, uh, about 32, 33 years of ministry. Um, I did... Uh, a lot of writing during that period of time, spoke in churches, spoke at conferences, did consulting with churches a lot, helping them process through issues and uh, matters of discipline in the local church and potential divisions that uh, churches were facing. So, mm-hmm. But uh, the aim of Enjoying God Ministries really was, as I uh, the kind of the sub, the tagline was um, e- explaining uh, the truth about power and the power of truth. In other words, trying to wed word and spirit in a way that was grounded in Scripture and yet uh, open to uh, all that the Spirit of God wants to do in the lives of God's people. Do you still blog there? I don't blog much anymore, no. I Since coming to Oklahoma City, my writing has taken a hit. Huh. Uh, I haven't really had the time to do that. hope to b- resume that sometime soon, but uh, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit on a, a sabbatical from the blogging right now. Gotcha. Well, what's been taking up your plate recently? Oh my! Well, trying to lead a church of about seven hundred people, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, leading a staff, and uh, preaching almost every Sunday, and uh, trying to build up the community there. So that has been. Uh, now I, I should say the first six months of uh, of this year, I've traveled far more than I uh, had intended. I had a lot of things that uh, were on my plate, some writing commitments, and uh, spoke at several conferences. Then went overseas for a while. Um, so I've been uh, far too much on the road and, and busy speaking in various places in mm-hmm. the first six months, more so than I would prefer. Well, Sam has been uh, uh, on our ministry. A lot of you guys remember him a couple of years ago. We had him on, I think, for two sessions of Converse with Scholars, one talking about just Calvinism, um, your book, Chosen by God. Chosen for life. Chosen for life. <laughs> Straight yeah. Chosen by God. R.C. Sproul. Yeah, people confuse my book with Sproul's book. So. And, Which is probably a good, uh, that's probably a compliment. Sure right? it is. And, and would you, we had you on whenever you wrote your book on a religious affections. Yes. And what was that called again? Signs of the Spirit. Signs of the Spirit. Uh, and that, that was a very good show, folks, the, that broadcast. If you can go back into the archives of... Uh, converse with scholars and check that out. That was, both of them were wonderful, but I think a lot of you that are out there may have never really engaged too much with, um, Jonathan Edwards and especially that particular work. And I think you have brought it down to where people can get the essence of it and really understand it. Cause sometimes some of these older writers, these Puritans are difficult to get your arms around at first. They are. And, uh, yeah, the the subtitle of the book was an interpretation of Jonathan Edwards' religious affection. Yeah. So mm-hmm. basically, I rewrote it. Yeah, and I, I kept in uh, substantial portions of Edwards, the parts that are really incredible to read and that are clear. But 
Um, I deleted a lot of the kind of the little rabbit trails he would go off on and, uh, um, I tweaked his prose to say, yeah. uh, if you've ever tried hey, to did work. Did you correct any theology? Uh, no, no. I interpreted the theology, but I did, I did not correct any of it. But uh, I always say of Edwards, he never met a comma he didn't love. And so his sentences sometimes were um, massively uh, complex and long. So tried to bring it into the 21st century now where people can really read it and understand it. Because most people would start out reading religious affections and quit. Five pages into it, they just give up, hmm. and that frustrated me. So yeah. that's what was the motivation for writing that book. Well, good. Well, I was made to read it in seminary, so I had no choice. Um, okay, folks, let's get to the topic. Again, uh, I have not introduced our topic, and it's somewhat of a mi- mi- mystery, but uh, we are unplugged. And I told Sam on his way in, you're not going to know the topic till you sit down, because that's kind of our M.O. here. Although I did tell you yesterday, because you... I you, prodded. Yeah, it was it was uncharacteristic, and you asked, and I said, okay, I'll tell you. I wanted to look halfway decent in front of Sam. Okay, so. good deal, good deal. Well, listen, I, I don't really know. <laughs> I, I don't really know exactly what the title of this this broadcast is going to be. I think it'll play out at the very end whenever we title it. So those of you who are listening to it, you know the title, so you know more than I do right now. <laughs> but here is the basic concept that I want to talk about, guys, and I, I think it's something that's uh, that's very important. And you know, I've got a couple statements here that, as I as I said, okay, how do I summarize this? I thought a, a one would be, what are the limits of Christian unity? Okay, stick with me just for a minute. All right. Uh, another title I put was, how long should our doctrinal statements be? And, and I've got before me here, as I as I was looking through the Credo House for the Catechism of the Catholic Church. As you can see, that's a pretty thick book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's smaller, but it's thick. And then uh, some creeds of the Christian Church I've got in front of me, and maybe I'll utilize those. But we talk a lot about unity and diversity. We talk a lot about unity, and the Scripture talks about unity. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we talk about being one. And, and what does that look like, and how does that practically play out? Another thing we do talk about sometimes is diversity, that God has created us as diverse beings and that uh, we are different. In First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, as he tells us about the diversity of the gifts and that we're not all the same. And so within the church, we have this built-in component or within the scripture, we have this built-in idea that we are to be unified yet celebrate our diversity. Now, one of the things that I want to talk about, and you guys and Sam, this is your first time here, so feel free at any time not just to try to back me up or to follow me because you may uh, disagree with me and I may end up changing my mind, but I'm going to give you what my views are with regards to this. And I wrote a blog on it probably a year or two ago, and it was uh, I want to focus first upon the local church and what does diversity look like in the local church and specifically – we can go broader than this, but specifically with regards to theology. I, uh, wouldn't you guys agree that we are unified, the church is unified, the church has been unified from the very beginning, the church has had an orthodoxy from the very beginning where there are certain things that are cardinal beliefs that unify us. Vincentian canon. What has been believed by all people, always, everywhere? Well, what are those things? Well, those are the things that unify us. We would say that there is a a commonality in belief in the church from the very beginning, right? Well, the rule yes. of faith. 
you're speaking about as well. Yeah. You know, there's an, there's this rule of faith that has guided us of interpreting scripture. Mm-hmm. And even in the early church, we talked about this as the uh, canon veritas, which is the, the, the truth or the regula fide, the, the rule of faith. And so there are certain things within the church we would say are non-negotiable, right? Yes. Well, what would some of those things be? Non-negotiables. Well, to be just as basic as we can possibly be, monotheism. Okay. <laughs> uh, but within monotheism, triunity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Um, I don't think the Christian church can exist without um, the confession of the uh, doctrine of the Trinity. And I, I think, in fact, from the earliest days of the church, that really was the defining um, uh, factor in determining heresy. Heresy was ultimately either about the person of Christ, uh, but also even more so about uh, the, the relationship of the Son of God to Father and Spirit. So certainly Trinity. Um, the nature of the incarnation would certainly be, uh, I think, a, a non-negotiable. I mean, John makes that fairly clear. And First John, on several occasions, anybody who denies that uh, Jesus is God come in the flesh is of the Antichrist and mm-hmm. does not have the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the, um, uh, the atoning death of Christ, his physical bodily resurrection. Um, I th- would think uh, salvation uh, by grace alone. Uh, it seems to me that uh, if you don't have those elements, it would be very difficult to justify uh, applying the predicate Christian of, of, mm. of anyone. Mm. Now, granted, there are, there are probably some others we'd want to uh, mention as well, but I would think that those would be at least a start for dialogue. Anything to add, Tim? The the two that stick out in my mind additionally would be a focus on man. So so looking at the Imago Dei, looking at the fall, and then looking at, at salvation, you know, making sure that looking at someone like Pelagius or something saying, because we can, ha- we can be orthodox on the Trinity, we can be orthodox on the person of Christ, but then if you don't believe that man needs Christ, then... All that is, I mean, it, it's good, but it's incomplete. Hmm. Uh, then, uh, then uh, something about scripture as well, uh, a, a view of scripture that is authoritative okay. from God. And part of the the problem is found in that book you just held up a moment ago, the Catholic Catechism, because then um, this would open a whole door uh, into a lot of discussion and dialogue. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church affirms monotheism, Trinitarianism, affirms the incarnation, life, mm-hmm. death, resurrection of Jesus. And in their own way, they would attempt to say they believe in salvation by grace, mm-hmm. but obviously there would be some qualifications there. They hold a, they do believe in the inspiration of Scripture. They just don't believe in its sufficiency. So uh, that obviously we're talking about what are the non-negotiables, what are the things that are necessary, but then probably it would open the discussion, the dialogue to even uh, more specific questions. In other words, are there things that if they are denied, not simply things that must be affirmed, but things Mm -hmm. that if they are denied put you outside the orbit of orthodoxy? Mm -hmm. And you would distinguish between the two? Yes. And uh, Give me an example maybe of something that you may not deny beforehand but and not so much have that accountability or that uh that uh, that centrality until after you know about it it becomes more central well i think the the issue of uh, salvation would probably be the most obvious one um 
I think that um, many many people who come to saving faith in Christ um, come because they realize their lost condition without Him. They are desperate. They realize the nature of their sin. They've they've uh, come to grips with the reality of of uh, divine judgment and wrath, but they don't understand some of the complexities of that, such that. Um, having made a profession of faith in Christ, and then maybe years later look back on that and they begin to analyze it and they say, well, you know, I, I did actually uh, make a, a choice by free will or uh, I wasn't probably as bad as I could have been. And maybe uh, works that I performed subsequent to my alleged regeneration have contributed to my standing before mm-hmm. God. Or they might end up fudging or getting fuzzy on the doctrine of justification and what justification actually entails. Um, and, and that would create some, some questions. And um, you, I think probably uh, once some of these fundamental issues like the nature of saving grace and faith alone and justification are articulated, if a person then with full knowledge of what, what the Word of God is affirming deny those, then uh, then you have a problem. Yeah. At least it's more severe than it was before without yes. trying to say, you know, where does it cross the line? Although we'll get to some of that in just a little mm-hmm. bit. L- let me um, move the conversation just a little bit to the other side to where we've already tried to kind of put down, okay, what are the what are the cardinal issues of the faith that has joined us from from all time and and um the uh the um issues that uh, unite us to those things that we would say Hey, there's room for disagreement. There's room for diversity. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I bring this up, let me let me give you an illustration of this. All, all three of you guys would know about this pretty well, and maybe you've thought about it, but I've thought about it a lot, and I've wondered about it a lot, and I I don't know really where I stand on this, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But whenever we talk about uh, all of our uh, the the place where we all graduated from, Dallas Seminary, they have a a uh, doctrinal statement. Mm-hmm. And that doctrinal statement is fairly we, – we talked about this some yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's fairly extensive. It is, yeah. Probably more extensive than a lot of doctrinal statements, not a, more extensive than all doctrinal statements. But it's a, it's an issue whenever you come to the school and m- at least want to be a teacher. You know, I'm not sure what the requirements for graduation are or what the requirements for belief are anymore when you graduate. There's but, actually two doctrinal statements. There's one for that students affirm and one that faculty affirm. One shorter, one's longer. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Now that must be new because that that wasn't in place when I was there. There was yeah. only one. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's an abridged. It, it's an abridged form, so they still would say they have one doctrinal okay. statement, but what the students have to affirm to is a shorter, condensed synopsis of that longer one is it a watered down or just a synopsis well watered down has some negative connotations but (laughs) you could say it's watered down because there was quite a controversy when i was there uh over um uh conditions and qualifications for graduation you were you were in the first graduating class right (laughs) yeah class of 19 i know i looked like it Uh, i actually graduated in 77 but uh, at that time you were required to sign the longer statement of faith, and then indicate any areas where you would disagree. And uh, there were a couple of areas, uh, actually I'm thinking back now, probably only one where, or maybe two where I disagreed. Hmm. And I had to go before a committee of the faculty for them to approve my graduation, and they did. Hmm. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't made an obstacle. There was one uh, uh, young man in our class 
who had at that time embraced a more covenantal amillennial eschatology at the time, and uh, they simply asked him to uh, spend another summer studying with them and getting things straightened out. Study a little bit longer. Yeah, he ended up. He actually ended up withdrawing from the school. Really? Yeah. It, it, there was only really? one in my class, so. Wow. Well, the doctrinal statement was written by Lewis Berry Chafer, the founder of the school, in the 1920s, I believe, and it has not changed a single word mm-hmm. since then. And so, but as we were mentioning yesterday, the faculty members have to agree to every point in the doctrinal statement to be a professor there, but they do not have to agree with every verse that supports every point. Mm. And so the doctrinal statement will have a paragraph, and then it'll have a list of verses, and then they can say, well, I don't agree that that passage in Ezekiel supports that doctrinal statement, but I do affirm that doctrinal statement, and Mm. they're okay with that. And and by the way, that also helps explain why the statement is so long. You mentioned that it was more complex, more extensive than you would find for most seminaries. Mm -hmm. And it was because of the conditions out of which Dallas Seminary was birthed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure John Hanna could give a lot more detail into this, but uh, it came out of the fundamentalist modernist controversy in the first quarter of the 20th century in which it was necessary then, perhaps uh, even more so now in some respects, to be very specific and to identify um, beliefs uh, in greater detail in order to differentiate from the modernist um, uh, deviations from orthodoxy. And so I think schools in that time and even churches were far more uh, careful about delineating everything that they believed because they wanted, they wanted to celebrate truth. They wanted to elevate the orthodox faith in a way that uh, is probably less the case now in terms of if seminaries for example, were established subsequent to World War II, you probably wouldn't find that kind of extensive mm-hmm. uh, um, statement of faith. But places like Dallas were so concerned to distance themselves from all of the errors of uh, the liberalism and the modern and the modernists of that time that they went, I think, out of their way to uh, to be more specific. And of course, once you've got that in print, uh, it takes. Uh, I don't know what, another flood? There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, some great act of God to, to move boards of trustees away mm-hmm. from those original documents because they don't want to give the, uh, anybody the, the hint that well, we're, we're uh, beginning to question some well, of these you, truths. Well, let's give you an example. Let's say the virgin birth. You know, it's a lot more extensive back then, and a lot of people read that today and don't see it as quite the controversy, right. you know, a lot more controversy. And then they say, well, we're shortening their part on the virgin birth, and then all of a sudden the, the board and the trustees say, well, what are you doing that for? Are we Do we not care about that? Let, let's go ahead and lengthen yeah. it now, you know. <laughs> which, is, which is why we're talking about this, because it brings us to what we do today as mm-hmm. well. You know, mm-hmm. Do we lengthen ours, or do we just shorten them and say, well, there are we're not going to go through all those details yeah. and the question of well what well, are the details for example you read most church uh doctrinal statements and you probably won't find them addressing the issue of the miracles of jesus and the mm. the, the authenticity and the reality of all of his miracles but you go back and you read a statement like dallas's or churches and seminaries that were formed out of that controversy and they'll go into great detail Precisely because the modernists were denying the supernatural dimension in the life of Jesus. As mm-hmm. another example, of course, would be the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would go into great detail and in giving extensive biblical support. Well, some of those issues just aren't as much at the forefront um, mm-hmm. of the church today. Um, and it's so obvious 
that evangelicals embrace the supernatural dimension of Scripture and those who reject Scripture don't. It wasn't as obvious then, and they needed to go out of their way to be specific about that. You know, it's it's very interesting talking about this, these creeds and confessions. And really, if you thought to have a session, you know, maybe we could do a boot camp or something, you know, mm-hmm. you could do a boot camp just based upon the theology of the creeds and confessions and show people how theology develops and 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 how, how much can we learn from from the controversies and and how it it, it works and I, I think it's a it's a very worthy topic to talk about but having said that i want to i want to focus in for a little bit here and I, i'll get back to the seminaries in a little bit and ask the question maybe how long should a seminary's doctrinal statement be these days mm-hmm. and what's the most effective but i want to talk about the local church now because at the local church level, we kind of have the same type of thing. I don't remember exactly what we did at Stonebriar, but I think at Stonebriar Community Church in Frisco, you know, Chuck Swindoll's sure. church, I think we basically took the Dallas Seminary's doctrinal statement mm-hmm. and reproduced it there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I remember having to, you know, go through the handbook. It may have been the abbreviated version. It must After have been. After deleting the portion on the virgin birth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I footnoted it and said, you know. Um, I'm just kidding, folks. Uh, but he, here's the question. I, I want to put this in two parts, and we don't have that much time for the rest of this broadcast. Maybe I'll introduce it, and we'll move on to, to the next one. But here's the question. Whenever we're talking about the congregation and, and who uh, – because obviously I think we would all agree that there there is a point where certain people can be involved in the church and – there's a line that is crossed in their involvement whenever they have a particular belief. And you say, well, you know, you, you can't be involved in this way anymore, at least. Mm-hmm. And then also on the pastoral staff, how diversified should a pastoral staff be? And and the reason why I ask this, and I think it's a great conversation, and again, I don't really have that strong of an opinion. I just think it's very an interesting thing to talk about these days. But a lot of times we do talk today about diversity and we talk about the value of diversity and we talk about, hey, as long as we celebrate to some degree diversity, it'll help us recognize our unity. But there at some point is a line crossed where that diversity uh, becomes unorthodox and, and it no longer is representative of the historic Christian faith, the biblical Christian faith, which we want to, which we want to honor and you no longer can be representative of a Christian church. How uh, how diversified do we allow the church to be? Question number one. Mm-hmm. How diversified do we allow the church to be? Question number two is do you intentionally seek out some degree of diversity, and how diversified should that be? Okay, so that, that's the starting question. How diversified should the local church be? How long should our doctrinal statements be in a local church? That's a great question. Uh, it's extremely Relevant and timely. You probably didn't know this. In fact, I'm sure you didn't. Uh, we just actually at Bridgeway uh, released. Yeah, here's my notes. Oh, released yeah. <laughs> before you got here. Our statement, our new statement of faith, <laughs> and we have broadened it and we have expanded it significantly. It was a somewhat of a kind of a. It was good before, but it was rather skeletal, rather bare bones. You know, basic evangelical. And um, we have, uh, as an elder board, have been processing this for the last year and a half since I arrived and finally have released our new statement. But I think the answer, and I'll come back to that in a moment, I think the answer to the question, how diverse, um, needs to be addressed by first recognizing there are different levels within the local church. At least my opinion is. I think, for example, that the... um, 
the statement of uh, a statement of faith that is designed to um, uh, be required for membership in a local church should be uh, less complex and less detailed than a statement that is required for someone serving in a leadership capacity in the local body, which, again, should probably be less specific and detailed than that which should be used to determine who's qualified to serve as an elder or mm-hmm. on a pastoral team. Mm-hmm. So you got three levels. Well, basically, yes. Um, so, for example... I'll just I'll just give you uh, I'll just cite as an illustration of this. It's not true at our church. We just have one statement. But at Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, where John Piper is senior pastor, they have a um, a very complex, detailed statement of faith that is required for elders and for the pastoral staff. And it is so the diversity at that level is minimal. There is great unity there. Uh, now, granted, there are some secondary issues. For example, eschatology. Mm-hmm. You can, as I, best I can recall, um, you can embrace pretty much any eschatology as long as you believe that Jesus is coming back and still function as an elder and still serve as on the pastoral team. Um, when it comes to other matters, um, uh, you know, even, for example, uh, issues of the legitimate grounds for divorce and remarriage, uh, John holds a very strict view of that, but not everybody on his staff or among his elders agree with him. Uh, but when it comes to membership at Bethlehem Baptist, there's another statement of faith that is less complex that basically tries to address just the fundamental issues of the faith because John's belief is, and I tend to agree with this, is that um, membership in the local church should be on basically the same terms as is membership in the universal church. So what is it that must be believed or conversely not denied in order to be a Christian, in order to be uh, brought into the spiritual organism of the body of Christ? And generally, although there may be some areas where you might want to tighten it up a a wee bit, um, generally that should be the same terms on which a person is admitted into the local church. So basically coming back around to my initial point, I think that my own personal opinion is is that there should be greater unity um, and less diversity among the elders, and I would also say the pastoral staff of a church, because usually those those aren't two coextensive bodies, although sometimes they can be, and more diversity that is permitted and encouraged among the people as a whole. Hmm. So, uh, so for example, I, I'll just cite you one example um, from. Um, from our statement of faith. Uh, at Bridgeway, um, we believe in, we're continuationists. We believe that all the gifts are still operative today. Uh, but you don't have to be a continuationist to be. Um, no, uh, when you say all the gifts are still operative, some people may not know what you're talking about. Spiritual gifts. Okay. Um, you know, prophecy, word of knowledge, uh, tongues, interpretation, as well as teaching, administration, you know, all the spiritual gifts. But you can be a cessationist and be actively involved at Bridgeway. If I had known Sam was a continuationist, yeah, I wouldn't let's, have invited uh, him. Let's beep that that out. <laughs> <laughs> he knew that. Yeah. Or uh, take another example. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Oh, okay. Another good example. Um, we are complementarian. And there is in our new statement of faith an affirmation of complementarianism. And that is embraced by all of our elders and all of our pastoral staff. Um, you've been talking about the whole issue of women in ministry. 
uh, we believe that only men should serve as elders in the local church. Um, if you are an egalitarian, you're welcome at Bridgeway. Uh, we would rejoice in your presence. We hope that you would come. You could be actively involved in the body. Um, you aren't, we don't stop people at the door and lift up their shirt and see if there's a C or an E on the, mm-hmm. you know, emblazoned mm-hmm. on your body indicating what you affirm and, you know, we exclude the egalitarians. Um, that is not made a condition for fellowship. Uh, but if you were to move into a position of leadership, if you were, uh, then that would be another matter entirely. And then, of course, even uh, the way our statement of faith functions is that uh, if you, let's say you were a cessationist or an egalitarian, and um, you would have to agree not to teach contrary to our statement mm-hmm. of faith, even if you're not in a position of leadership, we simply say uh, you can embrace your views that may differ with ours, but we would simply ask you not to teach contrary to the statement uh, uh, and, and the, uh, the doctrinal affirmations that we have set forth. So if I hear what you're saying, Sam, it sounds like what you're saying is that for staff members, your doctrinal statement is, is getting pretty long because you're going into venues that are not what, what we originally said were the foundational topics. Right. You're getting into more specific things to make sure that, that there is a unity of teaching and theology right. and thought. And things For like example, that. another one would be uh, baptism. We're, hey, hold we're, on, hold sure. on that. We're going to get to that next broadcast. Okay. I'm really sorry. We're going to have to cut that off. But hold that thought sure. okay, for, for a week or, you know, not really that long, but... <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> but folks, well, we're sorry to have to cut it off, but that's that's the that's the uh, way these podcasts go. Whenever you're unplugged, we just let them go until the time runs out. The time has run out, and you're going to have to join us next week as we continue this conversation about unity and diversity. I've, uh, I still don't know what the topic's going to be. Maybe how long should a doctrinal statement be? Does that sound provocative? Not really. No. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see. It won't be that then. But thank you for joining us. Uh, For Sam and Tim, this is Michael, and we are signing off. See you next week. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.